Well, welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. My name is Greg, and I am so glad that you are listening right now. Listen, man, life is hard, but we are here to help you. And so I hope you enjoyed today's message. And man, our, our, our real prayer and our real hope is that, that the message today will help you take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, we're in part seven of a message series that we've entitled The Problem of Jesus. And what we're simply trying to do is we're trying to look at Jesus. Like, who, who is he? Who is this guy? To look at his life and his ministry and his message and his purpose. What was his purpose? And you can look at it from a, from a skeptical point of view. Like, you can look at it skeptically. Like, is it real? Like, is he a real person? Is he a historical person? Is there evidence besides just the Bible is there proof there's also the angle of the problem of Jesus like hey if you are a follower of Jesus if you are a believer then then who is he I mean it gets so confusing what's his what's his message I mean what does it really mean to follow Jesus what does it mean if I say I'm a follower of Jesus what does that mean on Monday or Tuesday or Friday or Saturday how does that impact my life See, I believe to the core of my being that if we really understand Jesus, if we really get it, if we really understand his life, his ministry, his message, his purpose, it's reality altering. And it forces us to rethink and reconfigure everything about our lives. Now, today I want to talk about another problem. And this one, this one may not be super fun, but there's a problem. There's a problem of Jesus, and there's a problem with Jesus. And, and you know what the problem is? You. Or, to get real, me. The problem of Jesus? Me. In fact, let me just pose you a question. What do you think is one of the biggest objections to Jesus? Like if you ask your loved ones or your friends or people you work with, What's your greatest hindrance? What, what's the greatest hindrance for you to be a follower of Jesus? Hypocrites. Right? I mean, come on. We all know someone like personally or maybe we heard a story or seen someone, right, who claims to be a, a follower of Jesus, who, who, who says, oh, no, oh, yes, I'm into this, who says one thing and claims one thing, yet they do or they live another way. And maybe it's for personal gain, maybe it's for financial or political gain, but they say one thing, but they live another. But here's the reality, and I, and I hate to bust your bubble, but let's be honest. We're all hypocrites. I mean, I'm a mess. We're a mess. I mean, follow me around for 20 minutes, and I'm probably going to disappoint you some way. Now, let me be clear, okay, what I'm not saying. As a pastor, as followers of Jesus, we are held to a higher standard. But the reality is we're not perfect. In fact, we're a mess. 
I mean, no perfect people allowed. In fact, being a mess, being, being a mess does not disqualify you from following Jesus. Rather, during his time on earth, if you study the life of Jesus, he invited misbehaviors and skeptics and unbelievers to follow him. See, being a mess is actually a prerequisite to following Jesus. Now, Jesus sets up this deal, right? Because there's another, there's another problem. And we get the hypocrites. But there's another problem. And this one bothers me. And There's another problem with us. Is those of us who say we follow Jesus, but yet our actions lack faith, trust, boldness. Maybe you could say it this way. Like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a, a weak faith or a, a ho-hum faith or just status quo. And Jesus sets up a, a, an illustration of this. And, and to do that, he, he finds the most educated, the most talented, the, most, the smartest, like a genius person to, to teach this. And he, actually, no, he actually uses a, a child, a kid. In fact, this may be the most famous, well-known story of all time. And even if you're not a Bible person... Right, even if you're not a Jesus follower, you probably heard this story or a version of this story. It's the feeding of five thousand. Which, by the way, whoever dubbed it the feeding of the five thousand shortchanged Jesus. If you look closely, it says there were five thousand men. If you count women and children in addition to men, there was probably closer to twenty thousand. And John records this in John six. He says that sometimes after this, Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He heads back north of Galilee. He gets to the sea, gets in a boat, goes to the northernmost shore to a remote setting. Now John is giving you context and timing. Uh, the, the city of Tiberias was built around AD 20, and the, the name of the lake slowly changed to reflect the name of the city. And this tells us, and gives us time frame on when it was, was written. The name was still in flux. So John, who's an eyewitness, he's giving you geography. He's giving you a timeline. He says that they get there and a large crowd of people follow him. They had seen the signs that he had done by healing sick people. And it says Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples because the Jewish Passover feast was near. Now, if you see the context of this, Jesus is busy He's helping people. He's healing people. John the Baptist had just been killed, and he's exhausted. He needs some rest. He wants to just breathe for a few minutes. But John says the crowd's following. Have you ever thought about this? Why is it that so many opportunities present themselves when we're exhausted, when we're not ready? I mean, when you're looking and when you're alert and, and when you're, you're ready, it's like nothing. And then all of a sudden, when, like when you're exhausted and tired and trying to catch a breath, oh, opportunities, boom. Why is that? You know, Peter told us, those of us who are followers of Jesus, he says, be ready always. Be ready always to give an account of the hope that is within you. John says, verse 5, that Jesus looked up. He saw a large crowd coming toward him. And I just got him thinking, he went, oh. And so he looks over to Philip, who's one of his disciples. He says, hey, where can we buy bread for all of these people to eat? Now, he asked this only to test Philip because he already knew what he was going 
to do. And Philip answered him, suppose we were able to buy enough bread for each person to have just a bite. That would take more than half a year's pay. Now, here's what's interesting. You're going to see the contrast between the adult and the kid is that Jesus looks at Philip and he's like, all these thousands of people are coming. He's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed these people? Now, interesting, Philip's from a nearby town. It's about nine miles away. So I think he asked Philip strategically because Philip was, was from close by. Philip was also an adult who just knew. He knew that according to the Convention of Industry Council manual that a seated banquet requires 13 and a half square feet per person. And if you do the math, 13 and a half square feet multiplied by 20,000, they need 6.2 acres. I mean, the volume of food, the number of waiters, the quantity of porta-potties required to pull off this one mill is absolutely astronomical. It's going to break the bank. Just hiring the wait staff alone would set them back thousands. The food was going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. Now, let me pick on us adults for a minute. Neuroimaging has shown that as we age, the, the center of cognitive activity it shifts from the imaginative right brain to the logical left brain. And I believe this neurological tendency presents a great danger for those of us who follow Jesus. See, at some point, most of us stop living out of imagination and we start living out of memory. In other words, we stop creating the future and we start repeating the past. And maybe this is when you start to die. And so instead of living by faith, we start living by logic. And we stop dreaming and imagining and pursuing. And, 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 and we, we start lacking in our faith. I mean, you ever said something like this? I, I have. I mean, I, I mean, I just can't. I, can't. I, I mean, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough talent. I, I, just, I just don't have enough. I, 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 don't, I don't have enough courage. You know what I need? I mean, this really taps into the why behind Miami Church and the why behind what we do with neighborhood teams is, is we're trying to create a culture, right, with, with what we call ICNU people, right? You know what an ICNU person is? It's someone who's not afraid to, to look you in the eyes and, and to just call it out of you. People who see you and they say, like, hey, I, I've been watching you and I see gifts and talents and abilities and opportunities. And maybe you don't see them and, and, and maybe, you, maybe you do see them, but you're afraid or maybe you're stuck. And we all need someone to come alongside of us and to look at us and go, hey, do you see this? You have this God-given talent, this God-given, you need to use it. Don't waste it. I mean, this is the why behind the idea of church and community and the, and the, and the power of community. In fact, every, almost every single leader in our church started somewhere on the back row with their arms crossed. And, and, and it took an ICNU person to go, hey, use your gifts. Verse 8, another disciple spoke. It was Andrew, Simon Peter. Brother, look what he says. Uh, here's a boy who, who with five loaves of bread, two small fish, but, I mean, how far is that going to go? I mean, this is the best part of the story because now he goes from an adult to an unnamed little boy who's actually going to become the star of the show. I mean, can you even imagine how this happens? A little boy walks up and he's like, hey, man, I got five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're all like, just be quiet, kid. 
We're trying to figure this out. No, seriously, be quiet. Well, this is what I've got, and you can have it. (laughs) And the problem here is this is just too simple. It just defies logic. I mean, this is just like simple faith, simple trust, just simple generosity. How many times have I held back because I don't have enough? I mean, I can't, I mean, not me. I mean, I don't know enough. I don't have enough. I, I, yet, Jesus sets up this contrast. And we see the power of a child, a kid, in his simple act. This kid's one simple act of giving was the catalyst for one of Jesus' most amazing miracles. Now, listen, if the boy didn't share his five loaves and two fish, could Jesus have performed a miracle? Yes. Of course, Jesus could have like created a four-course meal, a five-course meal out of nothing. But there's a principle here. See, generally speaking, God doesn't do the supernatural if we don't pull our weight by doing the natural. See, our job, your role, my role, right, is to simply take our next step. And, and you see it modeled in this kid. It's just simple faith, simple trust. Simple generosity. So you take the next step, and then you trust him with the results. See, too many of us are we're holding back. We're stopping. We're giving up. We're, we're, we're hanging in the back. Not the little boy. He just simply said, hey, this is what I've got. Process over outcome. See, there's the principle. You do your job. You take your simple step. And then you trust God with the results. The results aren't my and your problem. But here's the problem. And I do this all the time. We let what we cannot do keep us from doing what we can. I mean, I mean it's, this is easy for me. To let what I can't do keep me, it paralyzes me from doing what I can do. It's just so true of me. In fact, there's a, a name for this. Psychologists have a, have a term for this. It, it's called a drop in the bucket effect. If you feel overwhelmed by the scale of a problem, you often don't do anything because you don't think you can make a difference, right? The problem's too big, and so you don't do anything. You become paralyzed. You, you don't move. In fact, you could say it this way. The, the head gets in way of the heart or, or logic. The logic doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. The head gets in way of the heart. Logic wins over an imagination, over faith. In this story, the little boy, not for him. I mean, I mean, he didn't know any better. He, he didn't know that you needed 13 and a half square feet per person. He didn't, he didn't know that you needed thousands of dollars to feed this many people. All he knew, all he knew is, hey, I have five loaves and two fish. That's, I got, and guess what? I'm willing to share it. I'm actually willing to to give. I'm actually willing to give generously. See the principle? Put what you have, whatever it is you have, you put what you have in God's hands and you trust him for the results. That's his work. This nameless young boy, we don't know his name. 
He shares. He shares what he has. It's not much. It's not enough. But I'll share what I've had. And because he shared, boom. One of the most famous stories in history. In fact, you know this story. Even if you're not a Jesus person, you know this story because an unnamed little boy shared. Now, several years ago, I heard a, a guy named Andy Stanley share this principle, and it changed my approach. In fact, I put this into practice yesterday. And, and here's the principle. The principle says this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for. See, I've spent too much of my life saying anything. Well, well, I don't have enough. It's not enough. I, I want to help. I mean, my heart says I want to help, but, but I'm not, I can't even make a dent in, in this problem. I mean, it's just a drop in the, in the bucket. But this principle, it's been freeing and empowering. And now, you can start now. This is a principle you can actually put into play today. Like, like what, is, what is it that you have? What is it in your hand? And then you can give that now. Jesus said, this verse 10, have the people sit down and there was plenty of grass in the place and they sat down. And again, there was 5,000 men, so 20,000. So it's a big area, it's remote, obviously huge. 20,000 people, they sit down and it says, Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and he handed out the bread to those who were seated, and he gave them as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. And so he gives thanks. Again, I think he's modeling this idea of gratitude, of expressing gratitude. God, thank you for the blessing of this food. Thank you, right? He's, this is a practice of expressing gratitude, right? A lot of people pray before their meal, but the real idea here is that we're expressing honest gratitude. Verse 12, it says, When all of them had had enough to eat, Jesus spoke to his disciples, gather the leftover pieces and, 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 don't, and don't waste anything. Gather everything up and don't waste anything. Verse 13. So they gathered what was left over uh, from the five barley loaves and they filled 12 basket pieces left by those who had eaten. Which 12 is an interesting number. We don't have time to dive into this, but 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, 12 days of Christmas. There's really interesting conversation there, but we don't have time. But the people saw the sign that Jesus did, and they began to say, this must be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. Now, again, everything is pointing towards something, or, or better, everything is pointing towards someone. But Jesus knew that they planned to come and to force him to be their king. So, so he went away again to a mountain by himself. Now, let's try to wrap this up. Here's some application, right? Okay, we can't control what other people think, okay? It's okay to be messed up, right? I'm a mess. I'm on a journey toward Jesus. Failure, being a mess is not the problem. We, we've got to learn and grow from that, right? I, I am a mess. I am trying, right, to follow Jesus, right? Now, here's another principle, right? Whatever, whatever it is that you have, whatever's in your hand, in the case of the little boy, Bread and fish. Whatever it is you have, right, put it into play. The little boy didn't have a lot, but he gave what he had. I, I, I just can't tell you how many people I just talk to on a regular basis, a weekly basis. And, and they, say, they, they say something like this. 
right? It's like, it's like the if-then, like, well, when, when I get a promotion or when life settles down or when things get more stable or, or when we get a new place or once the pandemic's really, really behind us or in a few years, when, 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 then. And, and, and that thinking, right, it just never works, right? And, and so you have to lose that thinking, right? And you can't buy into it. And you've got to go, what is it that I have right now? And how can I play that? How can I use that? In fact, Luke says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the bigger things. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't, you won't be honest in the bigger things. And so there's a principle here. Like, start today. What are, what are the talents that you have? What are the gifts that you have? What are the opportunities? What are the resources that you have? How, how can you use those? How can you play those? How can you be generous? Or, or the way we like to talk about here at Miami Church, how can you not be closed-fisted, but how can you be open-handed? What is it that I have? And how can I volunteer or serve or give or use these talents, right? Okay? And our job, our job is simply to, to use them, to put them into play, and to trust God with the results. And so be open-handed, be generous. Here's another principle. Okay. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I went up to the lunchroom. It was a Friday, and, uh, and I, I wanted, there was one piece of pizza left. And, and I went up and I said, hey, may I have the last piece of pizza? And the lady said, no, I can't because it's not fair. If I give it to you, then I got to give one to everyone. Baloney. That's not true. Don't be fair. Be engaged. Do good. I want everyone to look for opportunities to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. See, this is our what we're trying to create. We want to be this kind of church, just open-handed. Oh, we're not big enough. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough first. Well, one day when we get this, we reach this point, well, baloney. I, I love what Jesus did. Verse 10, he said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass, and they sat down in about 5,000 men, again, 20,000. And then Jesus took the bread, and he did this with the fish. And, and he gave things. And he distributed it to those who were seated, and he did the same with the fish. I mean, have, this, have the people sit down, and he gave thanks. Maybe this is the shift. Oh, God, thank you so much for what we have. Well, of course there are people with more, and yes, there's people with less. But God, thank you for what we have. God, I thank you for the talents that I have. I thank you for the gift. Are there more talented people? Yes. Well, look at, no, 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 no. God, thank you for what you've given me. Look at the talents, the abilities, the resources you've given me. Thank you, right? A heart of gratitude. Thank you for who I am, for how you've made me, how you've created me. Thank you for that. And God, I want to I take what you've given me. And, and to me, it feels insignificant. It feels small. It feels not enough. It feels like it won't even put a dent in the problem or be a, it'll just be a drop in the bucket. But God, what you're calling me to do is to take what you've given me and to put it into play. To, to serve, to give, to be available, to do what I can. And God, I trust you with the results.
The results are your business. You're just asking me to take my step. So God, may we be a community. May we be a people who are willing just to take whatever we have, and even if it feels really, really, really small, and just to put it into play. And God, I believe you want to multiply that and do things here in our, in our community, in our church, among our people. And we trust you that. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email at hello at Also, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any future conversations. I hope our time together inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey.